Hi, we've got the latest and greatest from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the impact of keeping employees available 24-7, a theologian who made plans to go to the moon in the 1600s, and new research that says that being hungover can be just as dangerous as being drunk. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Are you available to your employer 24-7? A pair of recent studies says you really shouldn't be. We'll help you understand how to stay healthy and collaborate at your best. And by the way, I get it. Longtime listeners probably think I hate work. No, you don't hate work. It's just, you know, you can't be creative when you're just constantly working. I actually love work, but I know people who are significantly overworked and I know the horrible health impact on that and happiness. And I just want everybody to be happy and healthy and wonderful and joyous and grateful. I wish that I could bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we'd all eat it and be happy. Hashtag mean girls. It's a good reference. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about two studies today. The first was led by Virginia Tech management professor William Becker. It found that even just the expectation that employees be available 24-7 raises stress levels for both workers and their families. That was true even if bosses didn't even send late-night emails or otherwise abuse the privilege. Just the worry that they might do that was enough to produce negative effects. Becker said, quote, the insidious impact of always-on organizational culture is often unaccounted for or disguised as a benefit, increased convenience, for example, or higher autonomy and control over work-life boundaries, unquote. Okay, so you hear me and you're a boss and you're thinking, well, business is business and I need my employees to be always-on for business. Well, the second study out of Harvard looked at the performance of three-person teams who were assigned complicated problems they had to solve. Some of those groups worked in isolation, some talked intermittently, and a final bunch constantly chatted thanks to always-on technology, like the kind you find in 24-7 work environments. The groups that interacted often but still guarded some alone time for solitary reflection actually came up with the best and most innovative solutions. Harvard's Ethan Bernstein said, quote, As we replace those sorts of intermittent cycles with always-on technologies, we may be diminishing our capacity to solve problems well, unquote. These two studies together basically show you that your employees would be less happy and less collaborative in a 24-7 environment. Now, if you're a boss, your best bet is to actively communicate your expectations for when and how your team should be reachable. That way, they're not going to assume the worst and stress about it all the time. We've got a couple other ideas for how to strike a work-life balance for yourself and your employees in our full write-up on Curiosity.com and on our free Curiosity app for Android and iOS. I'm going to turn off Slack the minute I get home, Cody. Don't even try it. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the thing I do a lot. (laughs) Earlier this week, we talked about Elon Musk's plan to send the first private passengers to space. But that's not the only out-of-this-world space plan from history. A theologian made plans for a moon landing all the way back in the 1600s. Cody, can you imagine what this guy thought he was going to do to get into space? Yeah, it reminds me of the early videos of airplane flight. You know, and they've got the weird wood flappy wings and they're running around in fast motion with Benny Hill playing in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the 1600s version of Benny Hill was playing all the time during this guy's plan. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great plan. (laughs) It's the Gregorian chant version of Benny Hill. Ah, yeah. Yes. Highly underrated, the Gregorian chant version of Benny Hill. (laughs) It really is. So Dr. John Wilkins was a warden of Wadham College at Oxford, who lived from 1614 until 1672. He was an accomplished intellectual who had the freedom to pursue any number of scientific endeavors, but he was fixated on getting to the moon and meeting the inhabitants who surely lived there. 
He believed that anything as roomy and earth-like as the moon must have been created by God for living beings, and he was determined to meet them. But science in the 1600s was a bit limited, to put it mildly. Like his contemporaries, Wilkins believed there was no difference between the atmosphere on Earth and in space. So he decided the best way to get to the moon was to take a winged chariot. If it was fast enough, it could break free of the Earth's magnetic pull, because gravity wasn't really a thing, and reach the moon. Launch plan? Check. With all that out of the way, Wilkins moved on to more pressing issues. There was some knowledge at that time about the fact that air gets thinner and colder the higher up you go, but he had a fix for that too. Quote, moistened sponges might help us against its thinness, unquote. So how did the trip go? Well, apparently Wilkins put his theories to the test with some help from a colleague, but neither of them recorded their attempts. They just said they performed experiments. Wilkins might have given up in part because of his colleague, because he was Robert Hooke. Hooke was part of the team that discovered space wasn't breathable, but was instead a vacuum devoid of oxygen. So kind of a buzzkill with friends like that, right? But we give props to Wilkins and Hooke for dreaming big. And hey, look where we are now. Looking for something else to do when this podcast is over? Explore history's surprising connections with a new podcast, The Thread with Ozzy. It's like a cross between revisionist history and six degrees of separation. The Thread unravels the stories behind some of the most important lives and events in history to discover how one thing leads to another. This season, The Thread charts a history of nonviolence, from the decks of a gunship in the Revolutionary War to Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement. Witness how the spread of a powerful idea can hinge on the past and influence the future. Get The Thread with Ozzy, that's O-Z-Y, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you're old enough to legally drink wherever you're listening, then Ashley and I not only encourage you to drink responsibly, we insist that you drink responsibly. If you don't, then you might feel the extremely uncomfortable effects of a hangover. Hangovers are just the worst. You feel nauseous, you've got a terrible headache, not fun at all. And according to a new study, they're even more nefarious than that. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. According to a systematic review published in the journal Addiction, you are physically and mentally impaired if you're experiencing a hangover. According to the review, the day after a night of heavy drinking, people have impaired motor skills, so they're less coordinated and they react less quickly than regular sober people. They also have an impaired memory when it comes to both short-term and long-term memory. They also have trouble paying sustained attention to basically anything. When people say they're too hungover to get out of bed, they might be onto something. As in, medically. That's why this study is a big deal. Right now, people can drive legally if they can pass a breathalyzer test, right? You might need a designated driver when you're out at the bars, but once the alcohol leaves your bloodstream, you're seen as sober and ready to roll from a cognitive point of view. But this study says, hey, maybe not. Maybe hungover people shouldn't be allowed to drive. And if that's the case, then maybe we need new regulations in the workplace. A lot of employee handbooks say you shouldn't come to work drunk, but how many talk about coming in hungover? This might lead to taking a second look at rules and regulations for jobs where you're operating heavy machinery or working with children. But it'll be tricky since you can't really measure a hangover like you can measure alcohol with a breathalyzer. And lots of factors cause hangovers, including mental state, age potentially, and a certain X factor that no one really understands. For now, it might be best to just play it safe and call in sick if you're too hungover to work. Or in a perfect world, if you do drink, then try to have a glass of water for every beer you knock down. I don't know if that's scientifically validated, but that's what I do and it works for me. And the best kind of hangover is the one that never happens. That's the truth. 
That's all for today, but Curiosity has big plans for the weekend. This weekend, you'll learn about a competing theory to dark matter, historical sites revealed by climate change, Hawaiian stairs that are forbidden to tourists, the history of tipping, a military technique for falling asleep fast, and more. Join us again Sunday for our Sunday edition of the podcast. And if there's something you're curious about, then email your question at podcast at curiosity.com and we might answer it on a future episode. You can also still enter to win a Curiosity t-shirt by taking our listener survey, which of course you can find a link to in today's show notes or on the podcast page on our website or on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash curiosity.com or on a chariot flying into the moon. Join us again Sunday to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. And stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.